TSA on this one hour less asleep Sunday. So here's what we're going to do here today. We got one hour less asleep. Hopefully you came to church at the same time. So hopefully you got an hour less asleep. Okay. So we're going to be very interactive here today. And I'm going to give you lots of verses and lots of stuff. I'll make you repeat after me. If I see anybody sleeping, that just means I'm going to make you repeat more stuff and get more involved. So everyone got to be awake because we got a great message here today. One of the most important messages and I'm going to say right off the bat, and I don't mean to just kind of make a big deal out of nothing. I don't often say this, but truly today's message, if we get this one, this is a game changer. This is a life changer. Like one of those, if we get what we're talking about here today in this series, but specifically today, I'm telling you, peace in your life and the stress level in your life will change dramatically if we get this concept here today. What we're doing in this series, the series is called Unshakable. We're in part two, and it's based on this verse right here from Psalm 125, verse one. I want us to memorize this. Maybe we can read it all together. Let's go. One, two, three. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. Very good. We're talking about how to live an unshakable life, an invincible life. And what we talked about is the un invincibility, the unshakableness is connected to our trust. So for many of us, our goal is to be that mountain of trust, is that mountain that no matter what comes in life, sickness, illness, viruses, layoffs, relationships, whatever it comes, we stand firm like a mountain. But if we're honest, most of us, our level of faith is less like a mountain and more like a piece of paper. Piece of paper, blow it. And the first person that sneezes on it, there goes our whole faith right there, and the whole thing goes, and everything is like a, like, a, like a house of cards, like I said last week, that if everything goes right in life and everything stays the same, we're okay. But one variable change, one change to the plans, one mix-up, one didn't expect, and all of a sudden, we come collapsing down. Well, our goal in this series is how can we be men and women who stand firm like a mountain, okay? And it comes from trust. And what we said last week is there's two parts to trusting God. There's two parts. There's a God part and a me part. All right, if you remember last week, we showed the video about the lady who did the trust fall, okay? There's two things that need to happen if I'm gonna fall back and trust that you're gonna catch me. Number one is I need to trust in who you are, your character, your person, your nature. And I need to know that you are on my side, that you are going, you're strong enough to catch me, that you're awake and paying attention when I fall. Like I need to know who you are. And the second is a me part. I need to take a step of faith and be willing to fall back. Same thing with God. Every week, we're going to look at a different characteristic of God, part of God's nature, that who is God? And we'll try to understand him, his person. And then when we understand his person, we'll hopefully come up with a way that we can practice taking a step. But we need both of those two to work in conjunction with one another. So first characteristic of God that we're going to take is my favorite one of them all. We're not going to talk about God's love. We'll talk about that later. We're not talking about God's fatherhood, God's goodness. All those are the best. And we're going to talk about all these things. But my favorite topic is talking about the sovereignty of God sovereignty of God, about how God is sovereign, almighty, all-powerful, my favorite topic on the planet. 1981, there was a best-selling book by a man, a rabbi, a Jewish rabbi named Harold Kushner. Some people may have heard of him before. He's written many things. He wrote a book called When Bad Things Happen to Good People, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. And the book was basically his way of trying to work through his own tragedy. And basically what happened is, is his 14-year-old son had died four years earlier before he wrote the book. And he was struggling to reconcile this idea of a good God who will allow all this pain and suffering, a concept which is not new to us, okay? We hear this question all the time, why would a good God allow this pain and suffering? But what was new 
was the conclusion that he reached and specifically the way he worded it. Now, I, I'm going to read to you what he wrote in, in his book. And I don't think that any of us would say these words, but I absolutely think we would feel this and we would think this, but we may not articulate it in the same way. When trying to reconcile, how can God be so good, so loving, and so great, and yet allow all these bad things to happen, including a disease to my son that took his life at age 14? Krishna wrote that he was forced to choose between a good God who is not totally powerful or a powerful God who is not totally good. He was forced to choose between a God who was willing but not able to help him or a God who was able but not willing. And he chose a God who was willing but not able. He writes this. He said, God wants the righteous to live peaceful, happy lives, but sometimes even he can't bring that about. It is too difficult for God to keep cruelty and chaos from claiming their innocent victims. Now, we might not use these words, because even as we're reading these words right there, some of you cringe, because anytime you put God too difficult in the same sentence, okay, we cringe at that thought. But I'm telling you that we may not say this, but a lot, if we're honest, we kind of think it sometimes. Like you look back at the hurts of life, the disappointments of life, the things that are out of control, the things that didn't go according to plan. And sometimes we think to ourselves, like if you've ever thought this, if blank didn't happen in my life, if blank didn't happen, if I didn't have blank, if my parents weren't so overbearing. Like everything in my life today, all my problems, because my parents were so overbearing. If I'd have just had different parents, or if I'd had parents who weren't so overbearing, my life would be different today. Or you say to yourself the opposite, my children. Like I know I have a problem with my temper, but it's my children. And if I had children who listened, or I had children who were respectful, or I had children who could pick up their socks off the floor, like if I, if I just had children who, would, who were more obedient, then my life wouldn't be as, as, as angry as it is. Or you say hardship. You know what, Father Anthony, you talk about faith, you talk about trusting in God, you don't know what I've seen. So you know what? I know God wants me to have faith and I want to have faith, but if you knew what I went through, it's just, it's nobody's fault, I guess. It's just one of those things. The premise in our mind is that certain things are beyond our control, no problem, but sometimes we think they're kind of beyond God's control as well. Like, just like Christian, you're saying, like, God wants us to live peaceful and happy and controlled and whatever it may be, but even he can't stop these things from happening to us. So either God, good, but not powerful, or powerful, but not good. We're gonna take it in two weeks. Next week, we're gonna talk about the goodness of God. Today, we're gonna talk about the power of God. We're gonna ask ourselves this, this question here today. And right off the bat, I'm gonna make a lot of you hate my guts right off the bat, because I'm gonna ask you this question. You're gonna hate my guts. I'm telling you right now, you're gonna hate my guts. I'm gonna say this. If those things that you're thinking about right now, what if those things that are outside of your control, those things that, like I said, your life would be so much better without it, those disappointments, those hurts, those failures, whatever it may be, what if, what if those things were not outside God's control? What if God was in full control of them? What if, what if God not only allowed them, what if God sent them? Oh, now we're getting fighting words now. 
What if God has a bigger purpose than we see? What if God allows things for something beyond our comfort and our happiness? What if those things that we hate are not just, they're not against God's plan for us, but what if they're actually part of his plan for us? And I look no further than the gospel that we just read for those who were at the liturgy this morning. We read a gospel from Matthew chapter four, which is one of those strange verses. And it says exactly what I'm saying right here. And we hate this verse because it says, then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And he fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Afterward, he was hungry. We read about this period of Jesus was 40 days, tempted by the devil, difficult time, angels ministered to him. And in the end, the reason that he was there was he was led there by the spirit of God. Let's make this personal. I want everyone to think in their head of one thing. One thing. You don't need to share it with your neighbor. Don't need to share it with anybody. But I want everyone to think of one thing. I want to make this personal. Think of one thing. It could be past, present, or a future fear. Think of one thing that you wish didn't happen to you. Think of one thing that if you could go back and say, you know what? Like I said, if I could have just, if this would have never happened to me, if I would have never gone through this, if this situation would have been different, if that betrayal by that friend, that rejection, that layoff, that bad decision, that, like I said, the parents and their neglect of me or, or the, the parents and their criticism of me, or God forbid, forgive me, the abuse that I suffered when I was like, whatever it may be, think of one thing that you go back and you say, you know what, that thing, Life would be better if it wasn't for that thing. And I'm not saying I got all the answers, but all I'm saying is this, is what if God not only allowed it, but what if God was in full control of the situation the whole time? And what if even maybe in some situations, not all the situations, but what if sometimes, some of your situations, God actually sent it? All of us have things that happen to us in life that are outside of our control. The bad things of life. And you have two choices when those things happen. Choice number one, you look at it as bad luck. You look at it as karma. You look at it as just one of those things. Or option number two, you believe in the sovereignty of God, that nothing is outside of his control, that nothing is outside of his power, and that God not only allows some things, but God actually sends some things, and it actually is for our benefit. Let's come up with a working definition of sovereignty, and then we'll try to explain what it means. Here's our working definition, okay? Say it, repeat after me, at all times. I didn't hear you at all times and in all circumstances. At all times and in all circumstances. In what times? In and in what circumstances? All circumstances. My life is fully in the hand of God. At all times, all circumstances. My life is fully in the hand of God. There's no circumstance outside of his hand. There's no time. There's no situation. There's no scenario where my life is not 100% fully in the hand of God. The word sovereign is usually used to refer to a king. Sovereign means I have all the power. The sovereign one is the one who controls everything. If I'm a king, I'm sovereign in this land. I can do whatever I want in this land. I'm the king. So if I'm sovereign means I can walk over here and I can say, you know what today is? you know, uh, national, whatever Joe, Joe said, it was national uh, women's day. Okay, so I can declare today is national uh, wear your shoe on your head day. Okay, I'm sovereign. Everyone wear your shoe on your head. I can do that because I'm the king. I can say today everyone is national bark like a dog day or whatever it may be. I'm sovereign means I can do whatever I want. God's sovereignty means there's nothing that he can't do. 
There's nothing that's outside of him. Nothing that's outside of his control, outside of his power. Did you know? I don't know the number, but I'm going to go with a fillion. Whenever I want to go million, billion, zillion, trillion, I go fillion when I'm going to go really hard. So a fillion. Of all the fillion, billion, zillion, whatever it may be, did you know there's not one atom, one atom, one molecule, one virus that is outside the 100% control of God Almighty? Did you know that? If there was one atom in this universe that was outside of God's control, he would not be sovereign. One atom, one molecule, let's make it more personal. Did you know that not one hair falls from your head without your heavenly father giving it permission? Saying hair number 3,468, go. Or for some of us, some of us, hair number four, go. Did you know not one sparrow, not one bird, one little insect, one little bug falls from the sky unless God gives it permission to fall from the sky? Did you know there's not one blade of grass that sways with the wind or gets pooped on by my dog unless God gives it permission to exist? I'm sure you a great verse right here. We'll go through lots of verses. We'll go through them kind of quickly. Psalm 147, verse 3 through 4. Watch the sovereignty of God, the bigness and the smallness. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He counts the number of stars. He calls them all by name. I love this verse because it tells me how big God is and how little God is. How God cares about all the big, the big, the big, the big, the big, and the small, the small, the small, the small, because he's sovereign. Nothing too big, nothing too small. Nothing too significant, nothing too trivial. Nothing says the stars. How many stars are there in, 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 in that we've discovered? Billions and billions and billions and billions of stars. And you know the incredible thing to me about this verse? is not that God has created billions of stars. You know the incredible thing to me? Is that God came up with enough names to name each one of them. Because it says that he calls each of them by name. How do you come up with that many names? Like God has not just creation, but all of creation, even the seen and the unseen. But the, big, the greatest, thing, big, greatest thing about God is he holds the stars and the universe and the planets, but he also heals the broken heart and binds up their wounds. Means if you got a little boo-boo on your foot, he cares about that little boo-boo on your foot. He cares about the stars and the planets, and then you stubbed your toe on the nightstand. Nothing too big, nothing too small. That's our God. That's what sovereignty means. Another verse, Psalm 1, or, or Isaiah 40, verse 22. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain. Did you know that me and you, in God's eyes, not in an unloving way, but in a proportional way, we're like grasshoppers in front of God. You know what else is grasshoppers in front of God? Grasshoppers, grasshoppers, little grasshoppers. You know your biggest problem keeps you up at night? Grasshopper. You know when the world is hysterical about whatever it is that these days we're hysterical about, which would probably be different by next week, we'd be hysterical about something else? You know what that is in front of God? That's a grasshopper. Your problem that you've been praying that you've been hoping, that you've been scheming, that you've been trying, grasshopper in front of sovereign God. There's a church word that reminds us of the bigness of God and the grasshopperness of ourselves. And that word is the word pantocrator. Repeat after me. Say pantocrator. Pantocrator. Four syllables. Pantocrator. Pantocrator is sometimes translated almighty. And that's not a bad translation. I like a different translation. I like to say Pantocrator is the controller of all. Because that's what it more literally means. It means the one who controls everything. 
and the icon of the Punter Creator is what you see right there up on the screen. And it's a picture of God on his throne. And in his hand is a blue ball. What's that blue ball? It's not the earth. The earth is a tiny little dot on that thing. That's the creation. That's all the planets. That's all the solar system. That's all the galaxies. That's all the universe. That's everything of which the earth is a tiny, tiny, tiny little dot on that thing. And then you find yourself on that thing. You're even a tinier little dot. Like go like Google Maps or Google Earth down and zoom into yourself and try to find yourself on this icon in the hands of God in order for you to see yourself, in order for you to see yourself, God would have to be huge. That's kind of the point. When we were young, we learned a hymn that taught us Pantocrator. You guys know what the hymn is? It goes like this. He's got the whole world in his hand. You know that hymn? He's got the, sing it with me. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world. That's a great hymn. In his, now you and me, brother. In his hands and in the sister and in the fuzzy wuzzy bear. In his hands. Right? He's got the whole world in his hands, right? Fuzzy Wuzzy Bear may be a different song, okay? But he's got the whole world in his hands. There's nothing that's not in his hands. Somebody hurt you. Somebody betrayed you. Somebody abused you. Somebody stepped on you to get ahead. Is that outside of God's hands? Is it outside that ball? Listen, I'm not saying that people are off the hook if they hurt us. I'm not saying that at all because we have free will. So people can make decisions. I can make a decision to hurt you. I'm not saying that's God's fault. If I hurt you or someone else hurts you, that's free will. That's that person's decision. And that person will be accountable in front of God. Okay, so I'm not, I'm not negating free will by any means. But what I am saying is there's never a time where God is painted into a corner where so-and-so did that and so-and-so did that and so-and-so hurt me and God's like, well, I just, I don't know what I can do. I ran out of options. I would have loved to, but your parents, so there's really nothing I can do. Or I wanted to, but your boss, so this is like, I'm out. Or, you know, I had this plan for you, but then you got this virus or this sickness, so like my hands are tied. I'm sorry, there's nothing I can do. I'm not saying people aren't responsible. Everyone is accountable for their own actions. But what I am saying, there is no circumstance, there is no scenario where you are ever outside the almighty hand of God. Said another way, God may not be the cause of all your problems, but he is the solution because everything is in his hands. He may not have caused your problem in life. Like I said, you got hurt by somebody. God didn't cause that. Don't ever, don't mistake what I'm saying. I'm going to keep saying it over and over. I'm not, I'm not going to say this, 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 this disclaimer, but it applies to everything. Don't ever mistake it. God is not the cause, but he is the solution because God is like a master chef. And sometimes, okay, imagine that I go to a master chef and I try to make my, my whatever it may be. And I make my, I'm trying to make my pancakes or my chocolate chip waffles or whatever it is that I'm trying to make. And I don't know what I'm doing. So I'm mixing stuff and I'm bringing out ingredients and I'm forgetting stuff and I'm doing, it's just junk. It's junk. And then someone else puts junk in. Then you go to the master chef and the master chef says, okay, bring it to me, bring it to me. And then he has a way and he adds in a spice or he, you know, adds in a, a thing or whatever. And he, 
brings in his own ingredients and his own special sauce and the barbecue this or the tart or whatever. He brings it and he makes it in such a way that he makes it good. We bring the ingredients, but God is always able to make the cake in the end. He finds a way. Now, the problem with God's sovereignty is that it is not always apparent. So the challenge for us is going to be that can I trust that God is sovereign when I see a miracle and when I don't see a miracle? See, sometimes we reduce God's sovereignty down to, forgive me, we make God into a magician. And we make it as if God is like very good at doing magic stuff. So then like you're about to get in a car accident and he like moves the car out of the way. Look how sovereign God is. Or you're, you're in the hospital and you could get the sickness and then God does this. Look how sovereign God is. Or you get this great job. Look how sovereign God is. God is this magician. Well, I'm asking you this. Is the same God sovereign when you got into the car accident as when he, you didn't? Is the same God sovereign when the diagnosis was positive versus negative? Is he still sovereign? Is the same God sovereign when you got the job as well as when you lost the job? Can you still believe that God is in the room when the doctor says there's no hope? Just as much as you believed he was in the room when the doctor says you're cured. We're gonna look at a story from the book of Acts chapter 12 about two friends, Peter and James. Peter and James were two of the inner circle of Jesus. Okay, it was always Peter, James, and John, Peter, James, and John, Peter, James, and John. So Peter and James, we can imagine, okay, were pretty good friends. Okay, they spent so three years together with Christ in Acts chapter 12. Christ is risen from the dead and he's ascended to the heavens and they're serving. So they've probably been friends for several years now. Their families were friends. Their wives probably hung out. Their kids, you know, played in the backyard. Peter and James were close friends. Well, one day, Peter and James' lives took two drastic turns, took a drastic turn in two completely different directions. We'll pick up the story here in Acts chapter 12. Now, about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. James becomes the first of the 12 to be killed. Okay, he's martyred, horrifically, we can imagine. Okay, her hair brings him in, he cuts his head off, or whatever it may be, and he kills him with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. So Herod killed James. The Jews all went, yeah. They said, oh, this is gonna help my, my popularity rating. So he goes and grabs Peter, another one of the leaders, and he arrested him. So when he had him arrested, he put him in prison, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. What was he intending to do to Peter after Passover? Kill him. Not bring him before him like a, as a model. Like bring him before as, as, as you know, like a, to, 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 to show how pretty he is. He killed James. People cheered. All right, let's take Peter. So now Peter is staring down the same fate as James. Verse five. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night, Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hand. The story continues on that Peter escaped, goes back to the disciples, and lived for several years after that. Now let me ask you a question. You got James and Peter, best friends. Peter and James, best friends with each other. James on Monday gets arrested, killed. Peter on Tuesday gets arrested, plan to kill him on Wednesday. Tuesday night, God opens the doors of the prison, Peter walks out free. 
I'm thinking about not Peter and James. I'm thinking about their wives. Let's start with Peter. How would Peter's wife pray on this night? When Peter comes back, how would she pray? Thank you, God, because you are the sovereign God. You are the almighty God. Chains cannot restrain you. No one can paint you in a corner. You, God, all things are in front of you. And prison doors are like butter before you just melt right straight through them. Nothing is too hard for our God. You would agree that's how Peter's wife would pray. How about James's wife? Was anything that Peter's wife prayed less true about God because James died? Like, you can't have it both ways. Either he's sovereign or he's not. Either he's in control or he's not. Ask you. Was God any less sovereign, or any more sovereign, I should say? Was God more sovereign on September 10th versus September 11th, 2001? Was God more sovereign the day you had a baby versus the day that you found out your baby was sick? Was God more sovereign the day that she said yes versus the day that she, well, I won't tell you what she said. Like either he is or he isn't. And I'm not saying this is easy. I'm not saying this is easy, but follow me on this one. If James's wife truly could stand in front of God after her husband was killed, horrifically, and she could say, God, I don't like it. God, I don't understand it. But God, I trust you. She would then be invincible. She would then be unshakable. Would you agree? What could shake her after that? Oh no, there's a sickness through the village. Oh no, you might lose your job. What could shake a lady who saw this horrific incident and then the next day her best friend, exact opposite happened. And she said, God, I trust you. See how unshakable works? Isaiah chapter 45, verse seven. Understand this verse. You can misinterpret this verse if, you, if you, you don't understand what I'm saying right here. God says, I form light and I create darkness. I make peace and I create calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things. You see, we like to think of God as doing good things. We like to think of God as creating light, as making peace. But what I'm saying is by definition, the whole thing is in his hand. So if there's bad, it's in his hand. If there's darkness, it's in his hand. It can't be anywhere but in his hand because if it's not in his hand, then he ain't God. Here's what we're going to do for the rest of our time here together. I want to talk about, I want to tell you one verse. I'm going to repeat this verse a thousand times. You're going to memorize this verse by the end. I'll tell you one verse, and I want to go three applications of this verse. I told you in the beginning to do the trust fall thing, know his character. Well, I just talked about his character. He's sovereign God. He's almighty God. All times, all circumstances, life fully in his hand. All times, all circumstances, my life fully in his hand. Now, I want to talk about three ways that we can practice, okay? Or we can put that to the test. And it's based on this verse. I'll show you the verse. I'm going to go three Bible stories that illustrate the verse. Here's the verse. It's one of my favorites. Y'all ready for this verse? Okay, I'm sure I've told many of this verse in confession. It's one of my favorites. It's one of those verses that's on repeat in my head all the time. And I pray that you don't need this verse, but I know you're going to need it at some point in time, so you're going to be prepared. Who is he who speaks and it comes to pass and the Lord has not commanded it? 
Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that woe and well-being proceed? Who is he who speaks and it comes to pass when the Lord has not commanded him? Who is he who opens his mouth? Who is he who says a word? Who is he who puts in prison? Who is he who does anything on this planet unless God gives him permission? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that woe and well-being means the good things, <clears throat> the good things, the bad things. I got myself so excited there. The good things, the bad things, the things that we like, the things that we don't like, the things we wish more of, things we wish less of. Who is he who speaks and it comes to pass when the Lord has not commanded? It is not from the mouth of the Most High that the, the woe and well-being proceed. We're going to see three stories that illustrate this principle. First, my life is fully in God's hands. Fully in God's hand. God is in full control when circumstances are bad. Y'all heard of the story? There's an Old Testament story of Joseph. One of the best stories in the Bible. It's a classic example of how God is in control when circumstances are bad. I'm gonna go through this story quickly because uh, I'm assume a lot of you guys have heard this story before, but if not, just recap quickly because we're gonna go through a lot of this stuff. Joseph was the second youngest of 12 brothers. Joseph, at one point in time, he was kind of the spoiled little guy that his dad loved. His older brothers, his 10 older ones, didn't care much for him because he was kind of, like I said, that spoiled little brat. So one day, they were out in the field. Joseph's brothers threw him in a well. It's easy to fast forward on that because we know that Joseph ends up and everything turns out to be okay. And easy to fast forward by Joseph got thrown in a well. I have two brothers. We fought all the time. We never threw each other in a well. Like, we would hit each other, we would throw stuff at each other. We one time locked a younger one in a bathroom, okay, but that was just for a limited period of time. <laughs> we never threw anybody in a well. Like, there's just certain things you just don't do. You don't use weapons, you don't throw in a well. Joseph's brothers threw him in a well and left him for dead. You're Joseph. What are you thinking as you're at the bottom of that well? Thank you, God, for this beautiful well. I trust you so much. This is beautiful down here. What are you thinking? Why, God? Where are you, God? You left me, God. My brothers, and no one cares. Come on, one-tenth of the well thing happens to us, and we do much worse than that. And I think God, I'm making this stuff up, but I think God called down into that well. He said, hey, Joseph. You trust me? Remember the video last week? Do you trust me? I think Joseph was like, how could I trust you? I'm down here. He's like, hey, you trust me? Hey, Joseph, your life, whose hand is it in? Whose hand is your life in? Your brother's? Joseph said, no, God, yours. He said, okay, trust me. I got it. I'm in control. A couple days go by or a day goes by. We don't know how long, but some time goes by. And then randomly, go with the air quotes, randomly, everything is random, right? randomly, a caravan of Ishmaelites is just happens to be driving down that same street where Joseph's in that well. Of course, it's random. And then it's random that they just happen to be looking for a slave to buy and take to Egypt. Reuben, Joseph's oldest brother, says, instead of just kill the boy, listen how great these, these brothers are, instead of just kill him, let's make a buck off him. So let's sell him as a slave and send him off in Egypt. Like, he's just going to die down there. We make no money. This way we get lunch on the way home. They sell him off and he goes to Egypt. Of course, it's random, right? Joseph ends up in Egypt. He becomes a servant in the house of a guy named Potiphar. And he becomes not just any servant, but the best servant, because Joseph is a faithful guy. And Joseph, God is telling him, like, you see, Joseph? I got it. And Joseph's like, I trust you so much, God. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. And then one day, his boss's wife 
comes to him and tries to seduce him and, and to, 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 to make sin with her. And he says, I'm going to trust God. I know if I trust God, everything's going to work out okay. I believe in you, God. I trust you, God. And Joseph said no. And then he was in prison. And he was stuck there for days and weeks and months and years. And I'm sure Joseph, why God? Where are you, God? I trusted you, God. And God said, what did Joseph? He said, Joseph, let me ask you a question, Joseph. Who is he who speaks and it comes to pass when the Lord has not commanded it? Joseph, is there anybody who could put you in prison if I didn't want you in prison? Anybody who could keep you here against my will? Is there anybody who has any control in this universe outside of me? Joseph said, I trust you, God. All right, I trust you, God. Long story short, Joseph ends up getting out of prison in a miraculous way, ends up becoming the second man of all, all of Egypt, second only to the Pharaoh, ends up saving not only himself, his family, the entire world because of Joseph, something that would have never happened outside of God's control. And at the end of the story, Joseph says this. Joseph says to his brothers who threw him in that well, Genesis 50, 20, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. You meant evil, God meant it for good because who is he who speaks and it comes to pass when the Lord has not commanded it? Who is he who speaks and it comes to pass? Like if God didn't want me there, God could get me out of there. God allowed it. And it turned out to be for our salvation this day. I'm going to ask you this question. I'm going to keep on moving because I don't want to take too much time. When your circumstances are outside of your control, when you feel like Joseph thrown in a well, when you feel like there's no hope, when you feel like everyone is against me, when you feel like I don't know what's next, what's your, what, how do you resolve that? Oftentimes, in our mind, God has left us, or God hates us, or God doesn't care about us, or God is unable. My answer to you, at all times, at all circumstances, my life and yours, fully in the hands of God. King David says it this way in Psalm 27. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat of my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. King David says right here, look, who is he who can hurt me if God is for me? People come and they attack. But you know what? If God says no, everybody backs up. And that actually gets us to our second story. First was when circumstances are bad. God is in control. Secondly, God is in control when people are not just bad, but evil. And people are attacking me. And people are hurting me. And people are trying to destroy me. God is still in full control. Here we'll go to the story of the three saintly youth from the book of Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were three children of Israel, Hebrews, who were living in Babylon. At that point in time, the Hebrew nation had been taken captive and they were slaves in Babylon. So that's where they were. And Babylon was not a, pr a pretty place to be if you were a believer in the God of Israel. And they were pagan and they had their own worship and they had all their own bad stuff. They had a very evil king named Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar was kind of full of himself. One day he made this big, huge statue. And he said, anybody who doesn't bow to this statue will be thrown in the furnace. Anybody who doesn't worship the statue of me thrown in the fiery furnace. Here come the three saintly youth. They trust in God. We will not bow to that statue. We bow only to God. We will trust in God. God will deliver us. No man has any power. Who is he who speaks and he comes to pass when the Lord has not commanded it? And the end result, they got arrested. They were sentenced to the fiery furnace and they were thrown in the fire. Now, what I'm thinking, if you're thinking the same way I am, God is sovereign. I know exactly what's going to happen. I know what's going to happen. They're going to get up there, and as soon as the guy's going to push them in the fire, 
fire's gonna go out. They're not gonna burn. That's exactly what's gonna happen. And they're getting closer. And if it was me, I'm not saying that, but if it was me, I'm like, go ahead, man. I trusted my God. Watch, that fire's gonna go out any second now. Three, two, one. Three, two, and a half. And they're just waiting. I'm sure God's gonna deliver me. I'm sure. There's no way. You know what it says about the fires they're about to be thrown in? It says the fire was so hot, so hot that the guy who pushed them in got burned up and died on the spot. What are you thinking as you're about to go in that fire? Why, God? Where are you, God? The stuff that we say all the time. You left me, God. No one cares about me. I trusted in you. Oh, you know how the song goes. And God said to them, who is he who speaks and it comes to pass when the Lord has not commanded it? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you trust me? Well, if you do, watch this. Read the passage of what happens when they got in there. This is from the prayer of Azariah, one of the deuterocanonical books of the scriptures. It says, but when they were thrown in there, the angel of the Lord, watch Pantocrator, controller of all the universe, angel of the Lord came down into the furnace to be with Azariah and his companions and drove the fiery flame out of the furnace and made the inside of the furnace as though a moist wind were whistling through it. The fire did not touch them at all and caused them no pain or distress. And if I were writing the scripture, I would add one word at the end of this. The fire did not touch them, caused no pain or distress. Booyah is what I would write at the end of that. Because that's Punta Crator. That's Punta Crator. You trust me? Who's got the whole world in his hands? You trust me? Watch this. And they go in that fire furnace. The guy who threw him in got burned up. Azariah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They go in there and they're like, oh, it's kind of chilly in here. Anybody got a sweater? Like they're like, it's kind of chilly in here because there's a moist wind that's blowing through right here. And God turned the furnace into a freezer because that's Punta Crator. And you laugh and you smile. And I want to show you one of the best verses in the Bible. Watch, remember that laugh, that, that laugh that you just had right now. This is Psalm, Psalm 2. It says, why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the, and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. But after he laughs, he scoffs at them and he rebukes them and terrifies them in his anger and his wrath. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. Oh no, what am I going to do if you throw them in the furnace? Oh no. Oh, go make it hotter. Oh no, I don't know what I'm going to do. Uh, somebody help me. Angels, anybody. Come on now. He's Pancho Grator. He's in control of the universe. Anybody paint God into a corner? Your boss paint God into a corner? Your parents paint God into a corner? Anybody on this planet can speak? Who is he who speaks and it comes to pass when the Lord has not commanded it? end result for these three is not only they came out alive, they were ended up made rulers in this foreign land to which they were being persecuted. You tell me who's in control of the universe. Last one. Talk about when circumstances are against us, when people are against us. Let's just go straight to the very end of it when all hope is lost. When all hope is lost, God is still in control. I'm going to tell you one of the best stories in the entire Bible that too, unfortunately too many people don't know, story of Susanna. Story of Susanna is one about a beautiful lady. And she's beautiful both on the inside and on the outside, okay? And she, one day, like her, her custom was, she had a garden in the back and she would go out to that garden to take her bath every day. And she had her maids and she told the maids to make sure she would go out in the garden to bathe 
maids would make sure there's nobody there. They would lock the door. She would take her back. One day, there were these two dirty old men. And these dirty old men had been peeping Toms. And they had been peeping on Susanna for, for a long time and passing by and just happened to be passing by and kind of checking her out, passing by. And then one day as they were passing by, it was just like in the cartoon. They ran into each other head to head and they were like, uh, they were embarrassed. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? They realized they're both coming here to do the same thing, both peeping Toms on Susanna. And then they said, you know what? They came up with a plan. What they're going to do, they're going to sneak into the garden. And the next day when she's going to come out to come take her bath and the maid's going to leave and lock the door, they're going to be on the inside. They're going to come out and spring out on Susanna and say, hey, Susanna, let's make some business right here, okay? And they're going to seduce Susanna to do sin. And then they're going to enjoy their time with her and everything's going to be fine. Susanna, the plan happens just like that. Susanna comes out, goes in the bath, old men jump out, and they say, commit sin with us. And she says, I will not do that. And they say to her, these two men were like judges, like elders in the town, very well respected. And they said, look here, you're just some lady. No one's going to believe you. We're two respected elders. Either you sleep with us or we're going to go outside and tell everybody that you were in here with another man and we caught you committing adultery and you're going to, the, the penalty of that is death by stoning. So you choose, commit sin with us or be stoned to death. You choose. And Susanna, what would you have said if you were in her shoes? Why God? The same song. Why God? Just hit repeat, okay? The same stuff that you say. Why God? Where are you, God? You left me, God. I'm only trying to do the right thing, God. I'm, I'm painted into a corner. I'm bad between a rock and a hard place. Either I sin or I die. I, what choice do I have? Nobody's going to believe me. But look at the beauty of someone who trusts in the Lord. Susanna said this. Susanna cried aloud and said, Oh, eternal God. You know what is hidden and are aware of all things before they come to be. Short prayer, but powerful prayer. Because basically what she said is, God, I know that my life ultimately is in your hands, not in these guys. You know all things. You control all things. I'm trusting you. And she told the two old men no. They followed through on their promise. They accused her of a crime. They brought her before the jury. And of course, she's just a woman who is committed of a crime, no one's going to believe her testimony. They believe the old men, and they're just about to sentence her to death. Just about until the Pantocrator, as he always does, steps in. The Lord heard her prayer as she was being led to execution. As she was being led to execution. And you know what? As she's being led to execution... Everyone is thinking to themselves the same things. God left her. God left her. If God wanted, God would have vindicated her. God would have struck down those old men. God would have proven. And she's being led to execution. Being led to execution. God left her. Oh, did he? Oh, did he? As she was being led to execution, God stirred up the Holy Spirit of a young boy named Daniel, and he cried aloud. That I am innocent of this woman's blood. We won't read the rest of the story, but basically what happens, Daniel comes up and says, Daniel is a young man at this time. Daniel says, y'all are fools. Y'all believe the testimony of these two dirty old men? And he separates the two dirty old men in separate rooms. And he says to the one, he says, you say that she was committing sin with another man, okay? And it was under a tree. What kind of tree? And the man says it was under, you know, an evergreen tree. And he says, you're a liar, and you just proved your own lie. God's about to strike you dead. Out of here. He brings the other guy in front of the jury and says, you said you saw them committing sin under a tree. What kind of tree was it? And the guy said, you know, uh, oak tree or Christmas tree or I don't know what kind of tree. 
okay? And they said different trees. And he said, see, you just proved to yourself. See, both these guys are liars. Susanna vindicated both these guys will end up being killed. You know why? Because who is he who speaks and it comes to pass and the Lord has not commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that woe and well-being proceed? Who is he? Repeat after me. Who is he who speaks? Who is he who speaks and it comes to pass? Who is he who speaks and it comes to pass when the Lord has not commanded it? Practice that for next Sunday if you don't mind, okay? <laughs> Trusting in God's sovereignty means seeing his hand in everything that comes my way. Means seeing nothing is random. Nothing is karma. Nothing is outside of his control. And I'm telling you, this one thing, if you get this, if you see God's hand in everything, your stress level in life, your anxiety in life, your need to control and worry, all goes down because you put your hands in the life of the maestro of the universe who is God. You know, just two days ago, I actually lived this this in my life. Two days ago, it was three days ago, it was Thursday. I was very stressed about something. I was very worried about something. Something was on my mind. I was even telling my wife, it's very rare for me to like wake up in the morning and the first thing that's on my mind, it's very rare for something like that. I'm usually able to let stuff go, but something was really bugging me. And it was bugging me because I felt like somebody was causing harm to somebody else. It wasn't a personal selfish thing. I felt like somebody, because of a decision they made, which I tried to convince them not to, they made this decision and it's causing harm to several people, especially someone who was in a, in a fragile state. And I was really frustrated. This was really bugging me. And I kept trying to control the situation. Maybe if I talk, maybe if I email, or maybe if I this, or I'll pray. And I kept trying to control it. And the outcome was the exact opposite of what I wanted. I was frustrated. And then I read a prayer. And it's a prayer I've shared with you guys before. It's part of my morning routine. As I read this prayer by a Russian saint, his name is Saint Philaret. And part of the prayer says this. It says, teach me to treat all that comes to me throughout the day with the peace of soul and with the firm conviction that your will governs all. In unforeseen events, let me not forget that all are sent by you. I read this prayer. I said to myself, how stupid am I? I said to myself, I think I'm the stupidest person on the planet. I'm not supposed to say stupid, I'm sorry. I'm the dumbest person on the planet. The parents get upset when I say stupid, I'm sorry. I'm not supposed to say that, okay? I'm the dumbest person on the planet, but that's not what I said. I'm the dumbest person on the planet. I'm dumber than dumb. Like dumb and dumber, and then me. Like that's the, that's how the, the, because I thought to myself, here I am, frustrated with this situation, and I'm preparing a message for this Sunday about trusting God's sovereignty. And I felt God telling me, you prepare and stand in front of all those people and say God is in full control. And you got this dumb little thing, you can't let go of that. I started to think to myself, you know what? Who am I? Who am I? Who am I to think that, you know what? If it's not A, then it's gonna be a disaster. Who am I to say, you know what? If it doesn't go exactly, like maybe, maybe, is there a chance? The answer is of course, yes. Is there a chance that God has a better plan than my rinky dink little plan? Like is there a chance that I'm wrong? Is there a chance that actually what this person's doing actually might be the best? 
Like, is there a chance that I don't have it all worked out in my plan? The answer is absolutely positively yes. And I came to the realization that day, that morning. I said, you know what? You know what? God, I trust you. I trust you. And I said, I did my part. I thought this was bad. I tried to stop it. Didn't work out. I trust you, God. And I'm telling you instantly, instantly. That's it. I did my best. God had it this way. Okay, what am I going to do? Like I wanted this, but God wanted this. What am I going to do? Could God have stopped it? Yes. Could God have done this? Of course. But he chose this. I'm going to tell God he did a bad job. Like who am I? There's so much power to acknowledging that life is not random, that life is not out of control, that life, all times, all circumstances, in the palm of his hand. And then I made it my goal for the rest of that day, okay? And you're going to get challenged in your life group this week to do the exact same thing. I made it my goal the rest of the day to say, you know what? Everything that happens to me today, this is my goal. Everything that happens to me today, I'm going to say is 100% from and that ain't easy to do. Everything that happens to me this day, so-and-so called, so-and-so said, this didn't happen the way I wanted. I'm gonna look at everything this day. And I'm a control freak, so this is not easy. And I'm gonna say, from God. And in the end, that's the best place to be. Because, I'll give you a hand right here. Who is he who speaks and it comes to pass and the Lord has not commanded it? Say it with me. Who is he who speaks? And it comes to pass when the Lord has not commanded. I took out even verse 38, made it easier for you. Lamentations 337. Y'all got to memorize this verse. Who is he who speaks? And it comes to pass when the Lord has not commanded. Who is running the show of your life? Punjakrator. Who is in control of the universe? Punjakrator. Who is in control of your circumstances? Even the small little boo-boos in your life? Punjakrator. What we need to do is trust that our past our present and our future is not out of control. It's in his control. It's out of our control. It's not out of his control. And that he's got it all figured out. Like I said, there's not one atom. There's not one molecule. There's not one virus. Doesn't obey almighty Pantocrator God. I'll leave you with this question. What is it you're trying to hold on to? What is it you're trying to manipulate? What is it that you are trying to say, if only this, if only this, this should be this, this, this. I promise you, if you can free yourself, if you can say to yourself, I trust in you, God, in your almighty hand, it will free you up to live a life that you never thought even possible for yourself. It'll free you up to live an unshakable, invincible life, which is our goal in this series. Let's stand together for a prayer.